Welcome to Self Security Chat Chat, episode 188 for the 4th of March, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm back. Gosh, you're not the first person to say that. Sorry? Didn't someone else say, I'll be back, and then he came back and said, I'm back? Oh, I see. I guess. And unfortunately, it looks like uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy won't be returning to us anytime soon. That was very sad news this week. Uh, a sad farewell to him and folks that are interested in in uh, learning a little more about the thoughts of Naked Security folks on it can head over to Naked Security and take a look at the sort of memorial blog post that uh, John Zed's put up for us. Yes, my understanding was that uh, he was quite active in science popularization in the US. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I uh, am very fond of. If some other well-known actor would like to step up to the crease uh, or the plate in baseball terms, it's always great to have uh, youngsters interested in science and engineering. Yeah, perhaps we can uh, leverage some of our friends at the Big Bang Theory or something and get them to step into more of a role like that. <laughs> You're right. I mean, it's really important to uh, to do that kind of thing. And I know certainly here in the United States and Canada, his voice is associated for you know with for many generations with science, and and that's a, a pretty good legacy to have. I I have to say, live long and prosper. In a bit of bizarre news this week, uh, right before we sat down to record the podcast today, I got an email from U.S. CERT, the Computer Emergency Response Team, that referred me to an NSA document on how to secure my network. Yes, I saw that. It's great, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, defensive best practices for destructive malware. And the thing that really made me sit up and take notice is the first two things on their list are ideas that we have been promoting for ages. They're very, very easy to do, but many organizations don't bother because they're sort of unpopular. And that's network segregation, where you divide and conquer your network so not everybody can always access everything because they don't need to, let's be honest, and taking much more care about administrative privileges. Yeah, I, I had a bit of a chuckle because I, I thought, who better to ask about how to defend a network than the sort of undisputed champions of breaking into networks? Or in the case of uh, Edward Snowden, the all-time champions of uh, having people take stuff from their network that wasn't supposed to leave the premises. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. And that's one of the guidelines in here that I think is often not uh, heeded as much attention to as should is uh, the central aggregation and keeping of logging. And, you know, whether you're analyzing those logs or not for, for traffic patterns or, or malicious behavior is a, a different question. But after an incident like happened with Edward Snowden or like happened with Chelsea Manning a few years ago, the reality is it's important to have those logs because incidents are going to happen. And after they happen, one of the most important forensic tools you have is a log of what, what went on when you, when you were breached. There's an awful lot that you can get either proactively or reactively out of logs. And it's certainly the case that actually bringing the bad guys to book, that really relies on well-collected logs, doesn't it? You haven't really got a chance in finding out who did it if you can't say what they did in the first place. Well, while we're talking of government entities as well, uh, Europol had a big bust of the Ramnet botnet. I think it was just over 3 million computers were freed from their, uh, their malicious masters, if you will. So that's, that's always a nice win. I like hearing these stories about botnet takedowns. Yes, I guess the backstory to the Ramnet botnet is that in many ways, it's sort of a threat of yesteryear. My understanding is it started as a full-blown parasitic file-infecting virus, so it could spread like crazy. 
but that made it rather aggressive and meant that paradoxically detection was therefore somewhat easier and it was more obvious when the thing was rampaging through your network and the crooks dialed it back and turned it into a well a regular sort of zombie and my understanding from Sophos Labs is that the prevalence of this thing has really dipped off to the point that you'd kind of consider it an also ran malware and yet there were still three million people potentially at risk from it uh, and it just goes to show that the scale of really bad problems sometimes tends to make us think, oh, well, only 3 million computers infected with this malware. That's not really a lot. The point is that it all matters. Yeah, I know when I get a speeding ticket for $150, uh, I'm not particularly pleased about it, but I don't go, hey, at least I wasn't fined a half a billion dollars like Google. <laughs> oh, it wasn't a fine, technically, was it? Uh, they paid the FTC in a settlement. That was over the pharmaceutical ads, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah, it is a settlement, not a fine. Yeah, so one more botnet out of the way. Uh, you know, it may be comparatively old malware, and it may use slightly old-fashioned techniques, which don't use so much peer-to-peer. -peer, so it makes, means it has a little bit more of a centralized command and control infrastructure that does make it easier to take the thing down. Nevertheless, any victory is a good victory. Totally agree on that, uh, and, and, and it's nice to see that there's still some centralized command and control to go after, because we've seen a lot of modern malware starting to use peer-to-peer -peer networks and Tor and other things to try to get around this type of thing. But the reality is, um, you know, complexity is generally the enemy of any, any scheme, right? Complexity may make it harder for law enforcement to come after some of these groups, but it also makes it less likely that your scam is necessarily going to work or work as effectively. So I think this is pretty good news. I agree. Now, there was some developments in the Anthem healthcare breach. Uh, I know you had wrote on Naked Security uh, originally about it, and then there was a bit of a follow-up. I guess good news is less victims than we originally thought, but the bad news, I suppose, is people that may not realize that they had done business with Anthem might have had their information stolen as well. Yes, I guess this, as you and I have discussed in the past, is one of the great things about data breach notifications. Even if you're the kind of person that thinks, oh, well, everyone's just getting tired of them, they do serve a purpose, as they did here with Anthem, good on them, coming out and saying, by the way, this doesn't just affect direct customers of Anthem because we need to hold data on non-customers. Part of the way that they provide, as I understand it, this, what is it, Blue Cross Blue Shield healthcare, is that if you join the club in one state where Anthem doesn't operate and then you move to another state, then Anthem will see you good uh, when it comes to things like paying claims. But of course, to do that, it means that all the operators in the Blue Shield Blue Cross group do need to share data. So this is not just really an Anthem thing. This is anywhere where you're dealing with a group of organizations that work together. And that's why I think data breach notifications are important, because they do give you those details that otherwise would get lost. Yeah, precisely. I mean, I've been hearing a lot of um, complaining, particularly in the United States, where most states have some sort of data breach notification law that People are experiencing data breach fatigue. You know, I get eight of these letters a year about my credit card being stolen and my birth date and this and that and the other thing. And um, people are ignoring them now because they get too many of them. And um, I, I, one, I, I don't agree with the fatigue argument to begin with. And two, to me, this is a perfect case of why it's so darn important. People who do care about it and want to protect themselves 
I think, have the right to know that their information may have been compromised. I agree, Chester. I don't buy that breach fatigue argument either. It seems ridiculous to say, oh, look, I had 10 breach warnings last year. That's far too many. I want to reduce it, so don't send them to me. Wouldn't it be better to reduce it by having fewer breaches that you needed to be told about? That, in my book, would be a much better result that it sort of puts us all on collective notice and helps us realise that it's important to do something about it. Well, one way to reduce the need to have to send out a data breach notification is to better secure your systems, and Facebook apparently will sing that tune to the point of 1.3 million US dollars. Yes, that's the amount apparently during the uh, calendar year 2014 that they paid out in bug bounties. Uh, intriguingly, it's actually down slightly from uh, 2013, where I think they paid out 1.5 million. The really interesting thing in the stats that they put out, though, about 2014 is, unfortunately, a lot of the reports that get submitted uh, don't actually amount to anything. Either they don't qualify or they've already been reported or they're not really problems, but somebody just wants to bring them to Facebook's attention. Something, I think it was 17,011 bug reports came in, um, but only about 700 of those actually ended up being able to get a payout, and the payouts range for anything from 500 to in excess of $50,000. There is actually no upper limit, but it is a reminder that to anyone who is running a bug bounty program, it's not that easy because you do get a, a lot of repeats. You do have to go through all those vulnerability submissions and make sure that you sort the wheat from the chaff. So well done to Facebook for doing that. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, I, uh, I, I generally like the idea of these programs, but they do have boundaries, right? Um, you're, you're sort of shielded from the fact that if you follow all the rules, you're probably not going to be prosecuted or sued or anything like that. But the rules are quite specific. You know, there's bounds. It's this part of the site that qualifies. And it's uh, only if your behavior is considered responsible disclosure and, and that type of thing. So for people that are interested in perhaps making a, a little bit of a side living, getting some Google money or some Facebook money from bug bounty programs, um, you can't just uh, wantonly attack them anywhere and everywhere and just go in guns a-blazing. There are rules. And if you follow those rules, the payouts can be pretty good. Yes, for example... Actually, twice in Facebook's bug bounty history, a similar sort of bug, different cause, I believe, has come out about potentially to delete somebody else's photographs. And both of those guys uh, ended up getting $12,500. And I guess because of responsible disclosure, you're actually being encouraged to say, this is what I found, this is what could happen. You don't have to go and prove it by blowing up the Facebook site in order to get your payout. So you're right, it, it, it gives reward, but also helps people who might be just getting into security research not to go for the publicity rather than the society benefiting result. Well, I think when the, when the sums are getting as large as what uh, Facebook and, and uh, Google are starting to pay out, uh, it, I think it hopefully nullifies some of this argument. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, these bug bounty programs, you know, great. You know, you get $500 for a bug, and that means that that company didn't have to hire uh, a security engineer for $120,000 a year salary. And so we're just doing this work super cheap uh, and giving it away to these companies. And bugs are, you know, bug bounties are evil. 
you know, they're not paying that money out to save from having to hire security engineers, right? I think everybody wins because the less vulnerable these systems are, the safer our data is. And we don't want to have to hear or write about a Facebook breach. No, and the company has done astonishingly well over its history in not having any sort of giant or serious breaches. So whatever you think of their attitude to privacy or the kind of social contract they have or whatever you think of Mark Zuckerberg, from a security point of view, would that everyone were that good. Actually, while I'm mentioning that, I'll just briefly pimp a few things in that um, next week I'll be attending B-Sides Austin and we'll be speaking there on, on the first day on Thursday. So if anybody is going to be at B-Sides Austin, please stop and say hi or come up to me after my talk and let me know you listen to the chat chat. It's always good to hear from our listeners. The following week, our listeners in Europe may be deciding to attend CBIT in Hanover, Germany. Um, again, I will be there along with a whole load of software staff from all of our regional offices. Um, I'll be doing some talks on our stand. I'll be doing my credit card thieving demo. Uh, I'll be doing a talk at the main stage as well. So uh, again, we invite you to come by and say hi and hang out with us. It should be a fun time. It sounds like you'll be quite busy. Let's hope we can fit the chat chats in, Chester. Yeah, I'm sure we can make it work. I'm going to try to make sure I bring my gear. And, uh, and then the following week, I'll be in Slovenia working with one of our partners there as well. So we'll have a bit of exotic chat chat locations, assuming I don't have technical difficulties. And I kind of wanted to wrap up with this fun story that you wrote about yesterday on the blog, that a little bit of spammer fail. And I mean, every once in a while, we get something really bizarre in the lab or in our mailboxes and that kind of thing. And it's always quite fun sometimes to take a look at them. What went wrong this time? Well, you and I have talked before, haven't we, about, oh dear, how you laugh when you see a spam that says, dear dollar one, uh, you'll be dead interested in dollar two, which is available for only dollar three dollars, where all you get is sort of boilerplate template. This spam, the entire thing was boilerplate. The company phone number, the address, the icon, a whole email, which obviously they just set up the system with some standard template. And then somebody had pressed the button to start the spamming run before they'd configured anything at all. So the entire spam run was a complete waste, which probably isn't that funny, but nevertheless made me smile. And the irony was the only thing that could possibly work in the entire spam, if you're inclined to click links in spams, was unsubscribe. Which I should note, you know, folks should be cautious of pressing unsubscribe in unsolicited emails in that. I know certainly some of them I've researched in the past have actually led you to malicious websites. Um, so, you know, if it's unsubscribe in a genuine email from Facebook, that probably would work. But uh, when we're talking about spam, it may not be the best idea to click those things. But uh, I, I recommend folks take a look at the story on Naked Security because uh, when you told me about it, I went and had a look and I, I just I had to have a chuckle. We love to see people trying to do us harm fail. And I, I thought it was great. Yes, like that story about those uh, advance fee fraudsters that John Hawes wrote about, I think it was last year. They were obviously making enough money that they'd their office was some luxury seaside resort hotel in Cape Town in South Africa. Then they decided that they'd uh, light up a spliff one evening. So, of course, the neighbour complained about the smell coming from the room and the cops came round and got the surprise of their lives. Um, because they actually found that the guys were in the middle of something that they had otherwise not known about. So I guess from a law enforcement point of view, when crooks make mistakes, you take your breaks. Precisely. And on that note, I'll conclude Suffer Security Chat Chat 188. 
As always, for the latest security news, the URL is https colon slash slash nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes in the TuneIn app or via RSS feed from soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. And until next time, stay secure.